well, I didn't expect to be back and see you so soon. However, uh, you're without a pastor right now, and uh, yesterday we had a funeral here for Paula Kelly, Nicole's mother, and I was asked if I could come up and do that funeral, and I said yes, and then asked, well, could you stay over and preach on Sunday morning? And I said, yes, I could do that. And it's uh, interesting that I was asked to do a funeral, and but I've also been asked to speak at another church where they're working through the Gospel of John, and my assignment is John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so it's really uh, seems to fit well with uh, coming up this weekend for this occasion. Um, I shared yesterday my favorite passage that I always use in a funeral uh, out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 where it says this, A good name is better than fine perfume. And uh, we talk about that good name. And um, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And I always say it was your mother's work for you to be born well, but it's your work to die well. And so in some ways your death day is much better than your birthday. You have to do something with your life. Uh, do something with it as was shared yesterday. And uh, do something with that dash between the years that will appear on your uh, headstone one day. And then it says this. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of myrrh. Meaning this. It's best to go to a funeral on a Saturday rather than a wedding. And then he answers the reason why. Because death is the end of everyone. And while you're living, you ought to lay that to heart. That one day it will be our funeral. What will they say about us? It will be our, our eulogies, our flowers. What will be the legacy of our lives? Well, um, a lot of times people like to have an epitaph put on their headstone. Have you ever thought about what you might want written on your headstone? Um, if you want to have some fun, just sometime Google up uh, humorous epitaphs on headstones. <laughs> I'll share with you a, a couple here. First of all, I shared yesterday, there's a new one in the graveyard where I have a grave that I happen to see. And it has a gentleman's name and it says, date of birth. And it has a date of birth, because that's, but he hasn't died yet. So it says, date of death, and it's blank. But in between, it says this, had fun until. <laughs> and then he's going to fill in the blank there. And that certainly fit in yesterday with Nicole's mother, Paula, she was a woman who had a whole lot of fun. Here's a guy that uh, had uh, a lot of humor. His name's John Yeast. On his headstone, it says this. Here lies John Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to know who Merv Griffin was, the talk show host from 1965 to 1986. He always would say, uh, for the commercial, he'd say, uh, I'll be right back after this message. On his headstone, it says this, I will not be right back after the message. <laughs> and then uh, I like this one, and it's very biblical. A lady named uh, Joan Hackett has written on her headstone, Go away, I'm asleep. 
It's interesting that throughout Scripture, the death of a believer is called sleep. They're asleep. Now, we don't believe in soul sleep, but it's a euphemism for resting in Jesus. Even uh, Stephen, when he was stoned, it says, and then he fell asleep. We fall asleep in Jesus. It's all throughout Scripture. Well, a friend of Jesus died. He got ill and died. And this passage we're going to look at in John 11, if you'd turn there, flies right in the face of what's called the hot health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And that would be that if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, then God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, it didn't work for Lazarus. And the very word Lazarus uh, comes from Eliezer, which means God has helped. Well, God had helped him. He came to know Jesus and was a special friend of Jesus. And yet, as a special friend of Jesus, loved by Jesus, he loved Jesus. He got ill and he died. People who love Jesus and whom Jesus loves, they get ill and they die. It says now. Now the word now is important there. You see, Jesus was just... uh, kicked out of town, and they picked up stones to stone him because he healed a blind man, and he did it on the Sabbath. So he went to the far side of the Jordan River out of their jurisdiction over where John the Baptist had been baptizing and hid out there and was doing ministry over there. And it says this, Now a certain man was ill. We hear that all the time, don't we? Constantly, you drive past hospitals and you see people are ill. Uh, Last night, I spent the night at a hotel and I took a hike this morning and I came past a corporate headquarters of a company called Stryker, Stryker Beds. I never want to get in one. (laughs) You get in that bed, it means you're ill, right? But it's a statement that people get ill. I was amazed to hear this. What amount of money is spent on health care? Do you know that Starbucks spends more money on health care than on coffee beans? Isn't that amazing? Everywhere. A certain man was ill. We hear it all the time. We'll see it as we drive past hospitals. We just accept it in life. Two people on earth die every second. But this was a certain man. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, where throughout Scripture we see that Jesus, whenever he was in Jerusalem, Bethany's just two miles up above the Mount of Olives, that's where Jesus would stay. They apparently were pretty wealthy because she did have that that pint of uh, ointment that was worth a year's wages of a common laborer, and we'll see that referred to, but We need to know this. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were special friends of Jesus's. And it's where he would stay and felt comfortable when he was near Jerusalem. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. You know, this is written after the fact. It hadn't even happened yet. We're going to see that in the next chapter but it, again, it's, it's happened, so they're writing back and saying, 
This turned out to be that Mary. And uh, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And the word here for love is that word phileo, which means friendship, where we get the city of, of uh, Philadelphia. Do you know what it means? Jesus had a special friend, someone that was uniquely his friend, we'll say. Now, for God so loved the world, do you believe that even today Jesus has special friends that he feels most comfortable with? I believe so. The Lord whom you love, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, we hear people are ill all the time, but then when we get certain phone calls, it really gets our attention because that person's a specially fond person to us. But when Jesus heard this, heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He said this particular illness is not going to end in death. I have big plans to use this to glorify the Son of God through it. There's a big lesson here. Do you know that Jesus Christ can be glorified through our illnesses and even through our death, even through our eating? No matter what you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That we can actually use illness to bring glory to God. Sickness can bring glory to God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's interesting. This is the word agape, which means this. They weren't perfect. Mary and Martha and Lazarus weren't perfect. And if Jesus stayed at their house for a while, maybe for a week during Passover, whatever, then you'd get to know that they weren't any more perfect, but they were special to him. And Jesus loved them in spite of themselves. It's that agape, self-sacrificial love. You know, it's unusual to say that Jesus loved someone in particular. The rich young ruler went away, and it says, and Jesus was sad because he, he loved him. And then John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very, very special to Jesus. The next verse, therefore, sounds ridiculous. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he rushed 20 miles from Bethany back to uh, Bethany by Jerusalem. No, it says, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Well, that doesn't sound like he cared much, does it? Oh, but we're going to find out that there's a reason. Jesus knows what he's doing. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea again. 20 miles, a long day's walk. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? This doesn't make sense. Don't go back. They were getting ready to stone you. That's why we're out here. Now you're going to go back there. That's a death sentence. 
Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That was a a common proverb of that day, which boils down to saying it's a little rough there. It's this. Um, Walk in the daytime when there's light because you're not going to stumble. But don't go out walking in the night. You won't be able to see and you'll stumble. It's a way of saying be wise about when you walk and where you walk. And this is really strange to me, but I think there's a a real lesson here. Jesus knew when it was God's will for him to play it safe, in a sense, and go to the other side of the Jordan. Because his time had not yet come. It wasn't that he was afraid. It was, this is not the right time. He was knowledgeable enough of God's will that he went and played it safe. But now, at a very dangerous time, he says, no, it's daytime. It was nighttime before, so I went over there. But now it's daytime. I'm going to go right back in there because it's God's will for me to go. And I reflected upon this, and how do we know when to play it safe and when to be bold, to not be afraid? One of the most amazing things to me is how fearful Christians have been through this whole pandemic. And and I don't think it's glorified God. I think we shouldn't be stupid, but we shouldn't be so afraid. I have a brother that always... uh, writes when he writes to me and uh, and I've picked up on it as well I like it or ends a phone conversation rather than saying stay safe he says stay dangerous do you think Jesus ever told his disciples now whatever you do stay safe no he said I'm sending you out there as sheep to be slaughtered it says with wolves now don't be stupid But sometimes God's will will fly right in the face of what seems to be safety. I like Mike Rowe. You know who he is? Dirty jobs guy. His statement is, safety third. (laughs) And that guy does some wild stuff. But he's not afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Our friend. I love that. Our friend. Lazarus must have been a special person. Must have been wealthy enough that he had a big enough place, he and his sisters, for Jesus and his disciples to stay at, apparently. There's a lesson in this, too. In our culture, if you had a brother And two sisters, older and of marrying age, all living together, some folks might think that's strange. Jesus didn't. He said, he's asleep. He's falling asleep. And I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples said to him, Lord, if he's falling asleep, then he's going to recover. He'll wake up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death. And they had a good reason to understand him. Listen to this verse out of Isaiah. I love this. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. The earth will give birth to the dead. (laughs) 
I actually thought I might want that one written on my epitaph. The earth will give birth to the dead. <laughs> I'm getting back up. Now, Jesus has spoken about his death, but they thought that, that he had meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. <laughs> they didn't get it. Jesus, now he shot really plainly with them. He says, no, I'm not talking about taking rest and getting better from the illness. He's dead. He's dead. Sounds blunt. You know, interestingly, I, I, when I was studying this, I thought of that expression, deader than a doornail. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from a Charles Dickens story where a nail was driven through a door and then turned, and on the other side, I think it's called clenched. Randy, you'd know that. Clenched or crimped, something like that, beaten in, never to be pulled out again. What it's saying is, Lazarus has been driven through death, crimped on the other side or clenched, and he's not coming out of the grave. <laughs> That's what we mean when we say deader than a doornail. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go also that we may die with him. You know, scholars aren't positive whether they mean die with Jesus or die with Lazarus. Now, he gets uh, a bad rap, Thomas the what? The doubter. I won't believe it unless I can see it. Well, here he says, actually, kind of like he goes, hey, let's go die too, <laughs> if that's what it takes. Some say it was just resignation. Others say it was resolution. I'll die for him. But it was a good moment, for, I think, for uh, Thomas. Now, when Jesus came, 20-mile hike, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, earlier, it said he waited two days. You see, this is really, really important. The Jews of that day had this belief that the spirit of a deceased person hovers over the body for three days and may re-enter and there would be a resuscitation. Jesus wanted to make certain they knew Lazarus is dead. <laughs> this is not a resuscitation. So he had to wait four days. That explains why... He wasn't insensitive when he said, when he waited around for two days. He wanted, he had a big lesson he was going to teach. And the disciples all needed to know this lesson because they had to have a firm belief in the resurrection of the dead because they were all going to be martyrs except Laz, or, uh, Judas. You know, it reminds me of uh, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> You could pull this up on the internet. If you've seen The Wizard of Oz, when the Wicked Witch gets killed by the, the house falling on, they had to have a coroner's report. So the coroner comes up, and it says, As coroner, I must aver, that's not a word we use, it's an old English term, it means I must tell the truth. As coroner, I must aver, I thoroughly examined her. And she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is trying to get through here. I've got to wait four days.
because I have a big lesson here to teach on who I am. And death, as I shared yesterday, is not a period. And Jesus says a death is a comma. It's not the end of the story. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. That's a wonderful thing to do, to console, to come. Uh, yesterday, people always arrive right on time. And yesterday, maybe 10 minutes before the memorial service, the life celebration service, Nicole said, I, a lot of people said they were coming. I said, they'll be here. <laughs> they'll be here. They came to console. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. Well, Mary needed to because they had guests, So, but Martha went out to meet him. Think this through. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> That's not a, a kind greeting, I don't think. Or, or was it? You see, Jesus, she knew, had raised from the dead Jairus' daughter in Luke 8 and the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7. If you'd been here, you in the face of death, it's hard to not. Well, if the doctors had just given that other test, if, um, if the timing had been different. You know, I had first time in my life this happened. I was driving uh, here yesterday on the highway, and here came a guy in the wrong, it was on uh, four-lane highway, going the wrong way toward me, straight, straight toward me on the highway. It took a moment to even, he was going down, the, he entered the wrong entrance ramp on the highway. And thankfully, he, I started honking my horn, and he went over in the, uh, the lane, uh, what they call it, the breakdown lane there it was like wow never know do we and then she says but even now i know that whatever you ask from god god will give you perhaps you'll do that again jesus said your brother will rise again those are comforting words martha said to him i know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day i i believe that that's going to happen someday but right now it's not much of a consolation because I miss my brother. Isn't that true? It's a great comfort to know that one day there'll be a reunion with loved ones. But until that day, I, I, I'm sad. <laughs> um, and I think also she was saying, um, Jesus, I, I can't figure it all out. I trust you, but there's a lot of details I don't understand. You see, death is not a period. It's a comma, but there's a question mark in there. What all goes on, like in the intermediate state? Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the, and this is the big key phrase here, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. That means bodily. <laughs> this gets a little confusing. You trust me, I'm resurrection, and I'm life. I give life. If you believe in me, you're going to die physically, but you will live physically. You'll go on bodily. 
then it's a little confusing. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, I scratched my head. You just said that you won't die. Now you say, or that you said they would die. But now you say they won't die. Which is it? We're speaking spiritually here about your soul, that this soul is eternal and the soul never dies. The body dies, planted like a seed in the ground. Do you believe this? And I think she was thinking, well, she says to him, Lord, yes, I, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. That isn't exactly answering exactly what he said. I think she was saying a lot of what we say, and that is, I, I can't understand it all. I trust you with it all, but the intermediate state where Lazarus is at, um, I just trust you. But there's, some, there's still some big questions. And I like that because I have questions too about those things. You know, um, I was told when I was a youth pastor uh, by the senior pastor when I left to be the pastor of church, the senior pastor said this. He said, Craig, as soon as you can, have your staff do weddings because weddings really mess up your weekend if you're preaching. You got Friday night rehearsal, dinner, and rehearsal, then you have Saturday wedding. One summer, I had 12 weddings, 12 different uh, weekends, meaning I had no vacation on weekends. And I always said, man, I'm looking for the person that wants to get married on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> you aren't, you aren't going to believe this. I just had, had a couple meet with me. I buried both their mates this, just in the last couple of years. And they want to get married. And I said, that's great. And I said, when do you want to get married? And they said, August 31st. I looked at I said, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> they said, yeah. I said, I've prayed for this my whole life. <laughs> and... Uh, but he said, do every funeral you can because you have a listening audience and you know that it's applicable because death is universal. But you don't have all the answers. But you know, um, it's not as common today to do this, but I never have problems with people at the funeral believing that, that there is a hereafter. But when you go to the graveyard and you stand over a grave and you make this statement that although I don't understand how, one day that person who's now with the Lord in spirit is going to be reunited to that body we just buried. And it's going to be glorified, raised up, and they're going to live eternally in a resurrected, glorified body, the same one they had on this planet Earth. And I look around, and I know there's some people that are thinking, has this pastor been drinking or something? <laughs> Why would I even want it back? Well, it's, it's going to be better. <laughs> it's going to be the way it was supposed to be. She said to him, Lord, I believe you. You're the son of God. You can do anything. I trust you. That's it. I just trust you with the future. And when she had said this, she went... And called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here. And he's calling for you. I had this thought. You know, there's these books out where people supposedly have uh, death experiences. And they come back from the dead and they have stories. Um, 
you know, I don't know what to think of those. I, w- I want to go to Jesus to be my teacher about life and death, eternity and such. Put, put your trust in him. There's been some that have come out and after they became popular and said, I actually made that stuff up. <laughs> so be careful. Let him be your teacher about life and death. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him, probably the Mount of Olives, just a mile or so away. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, and that's a good thing to do, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. (laughs) Uh, To just feel closer, I assume. Now... When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have handled this, Jesus. You're all powerful. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, in this translation, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That hardly does it justice. You may have a translation that says this. And Jesus was angry. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was all stirred up. Jesus fell apart. Literally, it's used of this. Jesus was like the churning of the sea in a big storm. He was churning with emotion. Deeply moved, greatly troubled. One of the saddest scenes I've ever seen was um, one time I buried a little blonde-haired girl, about four years old, I think. Her mother going away. Her father was supposed to be watching her at the home swimming pool. Uh, He went in to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for her. When he came out, she was drowned. And I buried that little girl. And at the end of that service, that mother and father were draped across that casket, weeping and weeping. I couldn't stand it. I just had to walk away. One of the saddest scenes I've ever seen. Great emotion. I think that's a little bit what was going on with Jesus. He was just falling apart. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, just because you know the end of the story ends well doesn't mean you can't cry during the sad parts. Let me say that again. I read that and I liked it. Just because you know the story ends well doesn't mean you don't cry during the sad parts. Jesus knew it ended well, but he cried during the sad parts. What did Jesus weep over? What was Jesus so upset about? You know, I read where one scholar said he was crying because he was upset at Mary and Martha for saying, if you'd, not, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened. He was mad at them. <laughs> I don't think that's it at all. I think Jesus was angry at Satan and sin and all the destruction and pain and heartache it brings on us in this world. He was upset over sin, its effects, its spiritual and physical death, illness, pain, tears, broken hearts, the confusion that's there, the loneliness, 
the missing the person. He was angry at the enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? They didn't really understand what he was so upset about. See how he loves us? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He hates sin so bad he went up and paid for it. And he weeps over us. Some of them said, could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? A little cynical. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. He came to the tomb and then he had a fresh outbreak of weeping at the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Sort of like no hope could have been the epithet on top of the stone. One of those that I read, in the, if you look it up in the internet, there's a, it says this on a grave. Here lies an atheist, got all dressed up and didn't have any place to go. <laughs> Jesus is weeping at a tomb. Do you know Jesus weeps with us over the heartache? It was never meant to be this way. Death wasn't in the original script in some ways. I know Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, but um, he's going to restore it, though. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, it's amazing how he's called the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Here's another point. Death stinks. Death is universal. Death is a pain. It's a heartache. It's confusing. Death stinks, not just physically. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And we will too eventually. But this is, this is like a trailer of coming attractions for all of us. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up at his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around confused, that they may believe that you sent me, because they're going to need this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some have said it's a good thing he said Lazarus. If he'd have just said come out, it would have been a universal resurrection. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. The man who had died, and it just seems so strange that it keeps being written that way. Now, this man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. <laughs> unbind him. And let him go. Why would this happen? You know, in the next chapter, we're going to learn that this event sealed Jesus' doom. Because when he came back at Passover, they were seeking to kill him because he raised Lazarus from the dead and had a great following. And then they sought to kill Lazarus. As well. What's wrong with people? Do you know that in Hebrews chapter 2 it says this. Since therefore we're, uh, the children share in flesh and blood. He likewise partook of the same thing. So that 
through death he might destroy the one who had the power over death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who fear through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Let him loose. But he's also saying to us, don't be afraid. Don't be bound by the fear of death. How could we possibly not be? Listen to some words of Jesus earlier in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. It's now here when the dead will hear his voice. And the Son of God and those who hear will live. Meaning this isn't just for Lazarus. This is a little picture of coming attractions. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, that's a, those are the words of Jesus. What it's saying is everybody will resurrect, but some will go to judgment and others will resurrect to life and not to judgment, meaning not everyone goes to be with the Lord. Those that have done good and those that have done evil, but we know that our works don't save us. What it means is this. What good thing can I do? says in John, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you can do. You give him your life, and then you start to have fruit of life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a command, with the voice of the archangel, and the saved uh, and the saved uh, and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead that are in Christ they're going to rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words That ought to be a great encouragement. We don't understand it all, but we know enough that it should be a great, great encouragement that we too will one day here get up out of the grave. But we shouldn't be bound even now in our earthly journey. We all know what a maple key is, right? Helicopter, whirlybird. One of my favorite writers, Andy Dillard, uses this illustration. She says, if we all are like a maple key falling to our death, and we are, then at least twirl. (laughs) Your mom twirled, didn't she? I should have used that differently yesterday with your mother. At least twirl. Give it your all. Later, she says, catch the wind of the Spirit, God's Spirit. Cover as much territory as possible. Don't even just drop. I love that. One day, we're all going to be like a maple key and get planted in the ground. Between now and then, this don't live in fear. Don't be stupid, but, but stay dangerous for Jesus. And knowing that you'll be planted, but you'll rise again. There's a uh, 
a song that became pretty well known by Johnny Cash was written actually by, believe it or not, a 12-year-old boy uh, who became a Virginia preacher out of the hills in the 1930s. Listen to the words. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise up out of the ground. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Oh, there was a battle, a war between death and life. And there on a tree, the Lamb of God was crucified. And he went on down to hell and he took back every key. He rose up like a lion and he set the captives free. Oh, if you walked out of that grave, I'm walking out too. That's what Jesus wants you to learn from the raising of Lazarus. If he rose up out of that grave, you're coming up too. If, I, if you walked out of that grave, I'm walking out too. If you walked out of that grave, I'm walking out too. And I'm following Jesus. <laughs> and that would mean now and afterwards. I can't answer all the questions, but I know this. Death is not a period. It's a comma. And then there's wonderful things ahead for those who die in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's twirl. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus... Thank you for these truths. I think I'm a lot like uh, Mary and Martha. <laughs> I trust you, but I'm confused by it all. But it is a tremendous encouragement, and we trust you. And may our trust help us to not live in fear, with, but with great hope that we and our loved ones who go before will have a reunion with one another with you. In Jesus' name, amen.